Harry Met Virtual Traveller, hello and welcome to Stories from Law, a monthly podcast that explores folklore and the stories it inspires. My name is Dawn Nelson and I am an author and professional storyteller. This month, patrons chose the theme of folk from the mines, and so we're going underground to discover what lurks in the dark caves, mines and even sewers of Europe. As is often the case, there are some dark folkloric characters explored in this podcast, and so, as always, I would recommend that you listen through first before listening with younger members of your household. In this episode, I will explore mining superstitions and the creatures that may or may not help you in your endeavours. The story from law for this episode is my version of The Seven Whistlers. I will go on to explore Mine Guardians further in the extended version of the podcast, which is available on my Patreon. And for the second story from lore in that extended version, I will be telling one of my original short stories entitled The Diamond Caverns. As I sit here in the loft room where I record this podcast, the garden is alive with birdsong. So if you hear the odd bird in the background, well, you know where it's come from. It's not in the mine. It's uh, out in my garden. There are many superstitions and traditions which may prevent a miner from attending work. If you research the subject for long enough, you may be forgiven for thinking that they're perhaps trying to find any way they can not to have to go down that mine. But don't forget, these superstitions often came from a time long before you would receive sick pay or duvet days, as some people call them. And, well, those who did not turn up for work, well, they missed a day's pay. They weren't paid for it. So these superstitions were really about staying alive and making a pretty grim job tolerable. Mining is hard, dark work that presses on your soul. Claustrophobic small spaces that push in on your limbs, hot dusty air that fills your lungs, and the constant threat of a collapse in the walls or the ceilings is ever-present. Once you have been inducted into the work of the miner, you are unlikely to come out the same person you were when you went in. There were certain days in the mining year when you shouldn't go down that mine. Good Friday and New Year's Day are examples of this. Innocence Day on the 28th of December is another day that was avoided. There were some days which were also specific to localities. Neath Fair Day in Glamorgan, for example. St Mary Hill Fair Day again in Glamorgan and many other local fair days in other areas were considered days where you should not work. It's thought generally, though, by folklorists that avoiding the fair days was more about wanting to attend the fair than any real belief that anything bad would happen to you in the mine. But nonetheless, a procedure still had to be followed in order to not work in the mine on a fair day. And this is described in Lynn Davies' book, Aspects of Mining Folklore. She describes a conversation between miners that was recorded at the time about how as they were walking to the mine on fair day and they were all talking about the fair and how they would really actually like to go to the fair rather than being down in the mine, one of the miners stopped and tipped out their drink for the day onto the ground. This would mean that they now had no drink, which you definitely needed in the mine because, like I say, it was hot work and you needed to make sure you were hydrated properly. So they would have had to go home to fetch more. And if you had to go home after you'd started your journey to the mine, well, then it was considered bad luck to try and go back to the mine after you'd been home. The other miners then followed suit and poured their drinks out as well. And so it was that they all spent the day at the fair instead of down in the mine. 
This brings us on to the subject of the miners' snap tin. The snap tin was what they kept their lunch in, and it would have been uh, something fairly simple like bread or cheese or a pasty and maybe some cold tea, um, and it would all have been in a snap closed tin. If a miner had to return to the house for their lunch, or any other forgotten item for that matter, in the case I just described, a drink, well then it was considered very unlucky for them to return to work after that. Even if the miner themselves didn't really think it was much of a problem them going back home and then back to the mine, their relatives, namely their wife, would often have pleaded with them and, and tried to stop them from going back to the mine because it was that ingrained in the superstition and the folklore of the time that it really wasn't a good idea to go back. Even if you remembered your lunch, there were many signs you may see on your way to work which would suggest it was bad luck to go into the mine that day. Reasons to return home and not risk a day underground included meeting a woman on your way to work, seeing a hare, in particular a white hare at Wheel Vore, seeing a pig, meeting someone with strabismus, which is more commonly known as a squint, meeting the rag and bone man, black dogs, black cats, crossing your path, a single magpie, robins, even pigeons, the list just goes on. Often these signs would be connected with previous disasters or accidents in that mine and so forevermore would be omens of ill fate. There was an incident of an explosion in a mine where several days before a pigeon had been seen sat above the mine entrance. From that point on the pigeon was seen as bad luck. If you ever saw it you wouldn't go down the mine. Birds seem to be particularly prevalent from the very real canary that I'll chat a bit more about in the extended version of this podcast to the seven whistlers a flock of seven birds that, if heard on the morning you were meant to work, were warning you of an impending run of bad luck. Now I say bad luck. It's probably more like a mind collapse or death when I mention bad luck. Sometimes the seven were whistling to the miner. Sometimes it was a six whistling to find the seventh. Either way, the superstition held. This superstition is prevalent in Wales and Warwickshire, but it can be found elsewhere and in fishing traditions as well. In fact, mining and fishing folklore often have many similarities, more than likely due to the dangerous nature of both jobs and the very real possibility that you would go out on the morning but not come back in the evening. So if you'd managed to avoid all of the superstitions on your way to the mine, well, once you got into the mine, there were other things which may have you returning to the surface fairly quickly. Black dogs seem to make an appearance underground as well as overground, and this time they're the spectre of what is called the old black dog, which hangs around a miner's neck and brings them nothing but bad luck for the day. It's interesting that we now refer to depression as the black dog. It makes you wonder whether that's actually what they were referring to, because somebody who was suffering from this kind of poor mental health would surely not have been at their best when working in such dangerous conditions. White rats spotted in the pit may also cause a miner to down tools for the day. And another understandable superstition is that if a new miner was set to work in a spot where another miner had died, as soon as they found out that that was the case, well then many would refuse to continue to work for fear the same fate would befall them. Another sign within the mines often seen was a phenomenon called corpse candles. And these are a little like the will-o'-the-wisps that I mentioned in the Lights Above the Marshes episode. These floating lights would be seen before a death or a disaster. And in one particular Cornish tin mine, the miner's tallow candle 
would appear to be held in a disembodied hand that floated around the mine. Again, reminiscent of that story I told in the Lights Above the Marshes episode. One of the most famous pieces of folklore surrounding mines is that of the knockers. There are a few ways this occurred, but in the main it involved knocking, sometimes to warn of an impending mine collapse and sometimes to show where there was a good new seam of coal or tin or other precious metals. And so this was particularly so for the case of tin miners in Cornwall. However, it also occurs in Wales. Here it was called the Talith. This too involved knocking and the noise of footsteps. But this never had good associations. This was always a sign of death. Knockers were sometimes seen and sometimes heard. Not often both though. They're described as short figures, dwarves or gnome-like creatures, wrinkled with long grey beards and not of a particularly amiable temperament. As in the story of Tom and the Knockers, the Knockers require some sort of offering, usually of food, and woe betide those who do not give them this offering. A rhyme sometimes used within this story, as recorded by the folklore Spotterel, is as follows. Tom Trevorrow, Tom Trevorrow, leave some of thy fuggin for the booker, or bad luck to thee tomorrow. Fuggin is Cornish heavy cake, and if you would like, you can hear my version of the tale over on my Patreon as my illuminated tale for May. When the Cornish miners emigrated to America, this particular piece of folklore travelled with them, and as such it's often found in the folklore of Western America's mines too. There are, of course, other stories of underground worlds. I cover some of these in episode 2 of season 2, The Dead Do Tell Tales, for, well, the underworld is underground by the very nature of its name. But I want to look briefly at sewers, in particular the sewers of Hampstead, London. What have they got to do with mines? Well, just bear with me a moment. In the mid-1800s in Hampstead, London, there was a group of men called Toshers. That's T-O-S-H-E-R, just to be clear. They scraped together a living from searching the sewers for anything of value. They could be coins, jewellery or odd bits of metal. This may not appear at first glance to be anything to do with mining, but like I say, bear with me. When I read about these men, I discovered that there were also noxious pockets of gas in the sewers that could kill them. And there were stories of rats eating men alive, including a family of pigs that lived in the sewers, causing mayhem and chasing these toshers all over the sewers. Pigs, rats, noxious gases and all in the pursuit of precious metal sounds, well, a little like mining to me. I don't know about you. So you see, these stories of underground don't just occur in the caves, mountains and mines of our green and pleasant countryside. Oh no, they occur right beneath our feet in the heart of the city. It's not really any wonder that these themes occur over and over again in countless folklore and fairy tales. The story I'd like to tell you for this episode is called The Seven Whistlers, and it's my version of the legend of those seven birds which would stop any miner going into the mine. Jack was due to start his shift at six that morning, but he was late. It had been a pleasant evening by the fire listening to his son's stories, listening to the thud and the futt of the dough as his wife made the bread for his snap tin the next day. She made the best bread, did Margie. Good enough to get him through any shift and take the taste of that coal dust from his mouth. He seemed so far away from that moment right now. The inky black, the ringing in his ears and the pressure on his chest. Of course, if he was honest, there had been warning signs. 
right from that evening. As he'd listened to his son's stories, the flames in the fire had burned blue. The corpse candles and blue caps had come right into his house to try and warn him, but he'd screwed his eyes up, shaken his head and said he must have been tired, gone to lie on the cot bed on the other side of the room. Now he lay in the dark. Every time he took a breath in, he sucked in more dirt and soil. His chest ached. He could hear the men above shouting, their voices chaotic and urgent. Jack! Jack's down there! Didn't you hear the knockers? Never did believe in them. We tried, Jack. The voice that spoke these words hissed and came from much closer to his ear. We tried. On waking that morning, he'd gone about his usual routine, washed, dressed, eaten fresh bread and butter for breakfast and a cup of tea, all set out for him by his wife. He'd been sat eating, half on the chair, half off, when his wife had come in through the front door with more wood for the fire. You're not going in, are you, Jack? She said, furrowing her brow. Of course I am. It's Friday, isn't it? Didn't you hear them? Hear who? Well, the seven whistlers. Don't be daft, Margie. Birds aren't going to tell me if it's safe to go down a pit. Well, a canary does. Well, that's different. That's that's real, isn't it? It's, like, it's detecting something, isn't it? Those seven birds, well, no, I ain't never seen them. They're just superstition. I only heard six, Mummy, said Tom. Only six? Pa'll be all right. That's right, lad. I'll be fine, said Jack, ruffling his lad's hair. They say six is just looking for the seventh. Still bad luck. Don't go in, Jack. It's not worth it, his wife continued. At that point, Jack had half remembered the blue flame. This memory coupled with a look of anguish on his wife's face, had almost been enough to persuade him not to go in, but he'd lose a day's pay, and he knew they needed the money. The clock struck quarter to six. Dragging himself back from the hearth side of last night to the breakfast table today, he laughed and shrugged off what he considered to be utter nonsense. They're all superstitions, Margie. It's just men looking for any excuse not to do a day's work. That's all it is. It'll be fine. Don't you worry. He grabbed his coat and hat and made for the door before any more could be said about it. He'd been almost at the pit before he'd realised that in his hurry he'd forgotten his snap tin. You can have some of mine, Jack, George offered. It's bad luck to go back for it now. Besides, you'll be late if you go back and your wages will be docked. Jack knew. Jack knew he was right. But Jack remembered the thud and the fat of that fresh dough and he could still taste the fresh bread from breakfast. Margie's bread was good. It was the best, the only thing that got rid of the gritty chemical taste of coal. So he went back. Of course, as soon as he'd set foot through the door, Margie begged him again not to go into work. Forgetting his lunch was just too much for her. What with that and the seven whistlers? The seven whistlers, and now you're snapped in, Jack. The bookers are definitely trying to tell you something, Jack. Don't think I didn't notice those blue flames in the fire last night, too. I did see them, Jack. I did. And I'm telling you, no. I'm begging you, Jack. Don't go down that pit today. Stop your worrying, Margie, he'd said as he lifted his tin from the table and walked back out of the door. He'd had to pull his coat sleeve free of her hand and as he turned to do so, he'd seen her usual rosy red cheeks ashen with worry. He'd taken her face in his hands and kissed her forehead. I'll be back for tea, Margie. And then he'd gone. Now... In the pitch black, 
He could just about make out the outline of her face, calling him back as he strode down the path towards the pit. He could see her mouth moving, shaping the words. I tried, Jack, I tried. Up above he could hear the shovels as the men started to dig. Coughing and shouting, they were desperate in their efforts. Whereas Jack, he was strangely calm, as if he'd always known this would be his end. More dirt trickled down his face along the line of his neck, under his collar and into his ears. The sounds got fainter and his body numb and cold. The knockers gathered around as Jack made his way across the liminal space. We tried, Jack. We tried. Thank you to patrons for their continued support of my storytelling and the podcast. As previously mentioned in the extended version of this episode available on my Patreon, I continue to look at the guardians of the underground worlds. And the second story I'm telling for patrons for this episode is my original tale, The Diamond Caverns. My Patreon is called Rewild Yourself Through Story and is focused on using story to reconnect with the land we live on and the nature within it. You can become a patron to benefit from a range of rewards, digital zines, ways to connect with nature through story, audio stories, extended versions of this podcast, and even online workshops, and they are all available as rewards. There are, of course, other ways that you can support the podcast, and you can do this by sharing the podcast with your friends, leaving me a review, and all these things help these stories to travel to new audiences and find new souls to warm. If you wish to hear more stories woven with folklore and the old ways, you can find me on Instagram as dd underscore storyteller, on Facebook as DD Storyteller, and via my Facebook group, Stories from Law. I hope to see you there, as I'd love to tell you another story. Until then, toodle pip. <laughs> <laughs>